You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. All right, Bracken, I know you're a numbers guy. You're great at math. <laughs> wow. They're <laughs> jumping right into the fallacies. Yeah. Uh, I have not run in how many days? How many days of no running has it 11. been for me? Close, but wrong. Hmm. 10. 10. There you go. Decent math. I'm on day 10 of no running, and I've made some... Uh, that was your made some notes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're right at the Thank you. basics. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate you. Well, well, you know what? <laughs> I said I lobbed you up for a softball. Uh, the softball. No, I. Uh, I guess the day this is released would be eleven. Mm. We're recording on day ten of a break, but I've just been paying attention to signals from my body and how I've been feeling, and I'm starting to get itchy, like antsy. I mean, starting mm-hmm. to feel quite lazy um and it's interesting the progression even though over a week and a half if you really pay attention to your body's cues like what rest does for you and i have a list oh you have you prepared something for today no this is just a mental list i haven't written it down in my phone or anything okay still though but let's keep the guessing game going what do you think there's three major things that i have noticed as my rest has progressed for me energy what do you think nailed it unbelievable after about three or four days of no running like i thought it was normal to be brain dead tired every afternoon i thought it was normal to not want to get up off my computer chair to go even use the bathroom or like whatever it is it's unbelievable how much more sustained energy i've had throughout the days this last especially five days so you nailed it okay what else i'd say you are spending more time with jess because you're staying up later um we're gonna why don't I say you're actually correct there as well. The amount of time that people who don't work out have is unbelievable. It's not just a 60-minute <laughs> workout. It's the prep before. It's the bathroom before. It's the shower afterwards. It's the whole thing. The amount of productivity in my life without a dang workout is unbelievable. I'm cleaning up things on the side. Yes, spending more time with Jess. Um, that I noticed right away, but it's unbelievable. Okay. I think... People who don't work out should be curing cancer and saving lives and somehow like the time I have to contribute to the greater good would be exponentially larger if I didn't train. So if you're not working out, you should be saving lives. That's what I think. My guess is you're eating more. No, but I'm eating the same and I haven't gained any weight, but that this all ties into one point I'll sort of get to at the end, but I'm done guessing. um, Finish me off. Well, that's... (laughs) Finish this sentence. Finish with the list. <laughs> your mental list. It's only like 2% of people who thought that was inappropriate. Um, well, those are sort of the major, I mean, the major talking points. Um, what it boils down to is like, I don't, I made a post about this last week and I don't think we realize how tired we are until we realize what feeling good is like. Mm. And yes, training and fitness is very separate from like health and life. They're very separate. And it's just, it's refreshing to not, um, not be dragging most of the time. Yes. Workouts and training is invigorating and hitting a quality session can amp you up for a few hours afterwards, but like the less caffeine reliance this past week, the energy were like, it's like nine o'clock at night and I'm like not ready for bed. Whereas it's like seven 30 when I'm training and I'm like looking at the clock being like, when can I go to bed? Mm-hmm. Um, little things like that show like how overtrained and under recovered I was. And I think a lot of people fall in that boat and they don't realize it until they give themselves a chance to take a break. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, is I think as endurance athletes, we are historically under fueled. As you mentioned, you think I'm eating more. I'm certainly not eating less. And my body weight hasn't changed at all. In fact, I was like, am I leaner right now than I was before my break? Which tells me I was underfueled, right? Like I'm underfueled. If I'm eating the same and not expending one to 2000 calories a day, I should be feeling something. And yet I don't. And so I think I knew all of those things 
but I think there's going to be just a handful of people in the listening audience who need to break, take a break. They're probably underfueled, and you don't know unless you try. And if you're sitting there thinking, like, it's been six months since I've rested. I mean, six months, I think, is as long as we should go if we're training hard. Like, I think it's time. I think it's time. And so, and then my aches and pains, little things like my hips aching and my glutes being tight and mm-hmm. all of those things. You don't realize how, how much running impacts your traps and neck when you run hard and like always having to like work that out just from arm carry. Like all those things have sort of melted away and it's like, how long do I want to keep this break going? But those are my big revelations and I'm ready to get back to it. I was, you know, walking through the parking lot to get groceries and i just wanted to like sprint to the door for no reason like in heavy training <laughs> yeah i'm dragging my feet to the door and so i don't know what you make of all that or what your thoughts are on that but um this break has been good uh i don't know if i'll extend it out to 14 days or not but i'll probably start running again sometime this week and uh most of you listen listening out there are dog tired that's what i think that's all i wanted that's all i wanted to wrap that up with Okay, we didn't discuss this prior, but this is very, very interesting because I am in no. the exact opposite place as you are right now. So mm, I, you did, are, I, agree. I did a nine-week – I wouldn't even call it a block. I just committed myself and it ended up being nine weeks of trying to find consistency. Just starting – the title on my training plan was Start Building Consistency. So it nine weeks and I was doing three to five workouts per week, which is not training. That's exercising especially since I wasn't scripting anything. On a day I'd feel competent and good and healthy, I would go out and do something. And I didn't script. Mm. We had talked about this. Just start getting into some sort of a pattern. Even if that pattern is not a, a scripted pattern, the pattern is I feel good today, I feel like working out, so I am going to work out rather than yeah. ah, I'll do it later. So that ended four weeks ago. So yesterday I completed my fourth week of training, actual scripted training. Now throughout those nine weeks, at least one or two of those workouts per week was some semblance of quality. Most of it was on a rower or a skier or the incline trainer, but I was doing some quality work throughout there. But now I've been hitting two to three workouts a week that I would consider quality, but only one of them is hitting the ground. The other two are lunge based or incline or machine based, Mm -hmm. but I'm working out six to seven times per week. I'm lifting two to three times per week doing all this. So I just came out of the everything's rough. Now I just completed four weeks and I'm finally feeling good. And I feel like the best version of myself. And I am more tired. I'm significantly more tired. I'm falling asleep earlier. I'm struggling at night. And I feel so good about it because I'm on the early edge of that. I haven't been there for nine months in a row where it starts to wear on you. It's all new. It's all exciting. My body's having little changes in it visually. Things aren't aching anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to feel strong. Like this last week, I did my quality session. I'm cutting them all to like two-thirds of quality sessions, at least in terms of pounding. So they're Mm -hmm. not big. They're just enough to move the needle a bit. And then the next day, I went out and ran 68 minutes on some technical hilly, rocky trails to just because I felt like doing it and my body could. And it's also funny you mentioned the traps and neck thing. I was Mm -hmm. so tight and sore the rest of the day because it was a downpour. And I thought, I'm getting out in this weather. I I need to run some sloppy stuff right now. This looks awesome. But from staring at rudy, rocky descents in the rain... I must have been so tight and my head angled down. Usually yeah. you can look ahead like 20 feet on these. I was looking down like five feet ahead of me. I was tight all day. But anyway, I'm in the exact opposite stage of you. You're just getting to coming to terms with taking time off and feeling good about it. And my body's finally coming to terms with actual training. And I'm feeling really good about it. That's fantastic. I That's my favorite phase of everything. More than rest, more than ramping up or more than realizing you're overreaching and tired, like your phase is the best. So I mm-hmm. actually am envious. I think training is like, I don't know how people, how many people are going to relate to this, but it's like a fat, training is like a fat soluble vitamin, Bracken. Let's say like mm. your vitamin D. Fat soluble means it builds up in your system. You don't just pee it out, right? And you don't have a nice vitamin D, aka training, and you don't feel very well. Like if you're low on vitamin D, you're just not going to feel well. Vitamin D is a super, super power vitamin, we will call it. And then you get to the right amount and you take it consistently enough and your levels get right where they should be and you start feeling good. And you start, every day feels a little lighter and things are nice and da-da-da, but you keep taking it. 
and you keep taking it and you keep taking it and pretty soon it builds up in your system too much where your body can't handle it and you start heading the other direction become toxic and overloaded and uh and then you start going downhill again and you just keep shoving the same thing that made you feel better initially down your throat to the point in which it starts having the opposite effect any fat soluble vitamin works that way and i think training works the same way you're always going to hit the sweet spot you're always going to feel good and perform in the middle and if you keep pounding that thinking that's what made me feel so good you're going to end up on the other side feeling like shit again and you gotta back off the vitamin d for a while let that slowly work its way out of your system and then you can restart the cycle i think it works a lot like that my heart is so full right now listening to you just nail this analogy if i could have made it a car analogy it would have been better but take it no. you get what i'm saying though right yeah no that's exactly it the very things that make us better eventually poison us if you overdo it and i'm in the stage where my system's open it's gotten past the, the soreness. It's gotten past the bad fatigue. It's gotten past the aches and pains. And now it's just calling out for more. It's been a long time, Kirk, since I woke up and thought, I think I could go get another hour in, even though today was going to be an off day. It feels good. And then I get to the end of the day. It's like, well, it's been eight hours since I worked out. I think I could squeeze another something in. I haven't had that that feeling and that desire in a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, then you just keep riding that. You keep riding it and riding mm -hmm. it and riding it because it's the best. You got you got a long window of a sweet spot. And we're coming from completely different places the last few years with your surgeries and yep. your injury struggles and all that stuff. So, like, you ride that wave until you run into a wall multiple times before you even think of turning the other direction. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the key is I'm not reaching for anything. I'm not programming speed work right now. I have one workout per week where I would be considered actually anaerobic. And it's doing something like 10 by three minutes at 10% incline and then hop on the rower or, you know, some version of that. I'm not running flat other than trails. I'm not going faster than probably half marathon effort uphill. And I'm doing a lot of still hills, sleds, lunging. So it's the kind of thing where I've said this a lot on here. I have no clue what it means for my running fitness, but I know that I'm enjoying everything right now. And like yesterday, I started my workout out and just decided I, I, I should, I lied. I did one flat run yesterday, put the treadmill flat, put it to the equivalent of five minute pace and ran for five minutes, then took a two minute rest and then did the rest of my workout just to feel because I'm, I'm running a race this weekend and I just wanted to feel what does opening up kind of quick feel like. And my body did you felt just say like you're running a race this weekend. I did Kirk. You were going to keep that to yourself. I didn't say what or where or when or why or how. Kind of Okay, well, I won't ask. I mean, I know I know the answers, but I guess okay, just move on. We'll just gloss over it. Let's let you have that. So, but I You didn't want to talk about it while we were recording. Correct. A couple of weeks ago, you didn't want to talk. Right. So, I just thought that was just But so just one 5-minute interval at 5-minute pace on the treadmill and my life didn't like break. My legs didn't feel bad afterwards. So, there's something there, but it just it was a it was a more of a joyous feeling than a I'm hmm. I'm fighting for anything and then just got back to a normal workout after. But those kind of little just sprinkling little things in is keeping running fun. It keeps a lot of doors down the hallway available to me. I'm not trying to charge through all of them right now. And so I think I can continue this, God willing, for what my goal was is to string together weeks and then weeks into months. So it's been four weeks. And now I'd like to turn it into four months. Well, two things here. One, you almost said one of my pet peeves, which is treadmill. Treadmill. You said treadmill. You said treadmill, but there was a little bit of an E in there. And you know some people mm. how they say treadmill? No, like, I'm gonna I've, hop I've on the never treadmill. heard of that, but apparently it might be me. Well, I work in a gym, and so there's a few that you know wander in that aren't terribly familiar, and so you'll hear the word treadmill once in a while, and hmm. that just hits me, hits me like a little it. icky, you know? I'm hungry treadmill. for a treadmill. Go get you. <laughs> I hate it. Uh, and then... Um, about two or three minutes ago, you said something that I think is the most important of everything you just said, and that is, I'm not reaching for it. Yeah. You said that exact sentence. I'm not reaching for it. When you're reaching for it comes high risk. And when you're yeah. letting it come to you naturally, yes, you're working hard. Yes, you're now hitting scripted workouts. And yes, like you have an investment in your training right now, but you're not doing anything what we would call crazy. 
No. And I feel like over the last few years, my fitness has popped. And a lot of times, like, I haven't been reaching for it either. And do you want to know what happened? I started reaching for it this summer when I got in my 5K pursuit. And what happened on the other side of me reaching for it? I felt pretty much like dog shit for a month straight or even more. And then I decided to pull the plug and now I'm resting. And it's okay to reach for it. It got me where I wanted to go. I really believe it mm -hmm. got me into sub-15 shape, although I wasn't able to execute. So I think that not reaching for it is what we call like the sustainability, that phase, that nice, consistent, steady improvement graph that we all want without feeling like we are just wrecked from it. And that's that's the dream right there with training, I think. It is. And I just talked about it in that last episode about volume answering one of the three important questions. When should I do more? How much is enough? And I'm sitting in that spot. I said, it's good to sit in where most of the days you feel better than you feel worse. And you think I could do more. For example, Saturday, I did a quality workout Friday. Saturday, I went out to do easy time on the trails. And on the way there, I was thinking, you know what? I might just hit two hours. I haven't done a two hour run in a long time. And for some reason that getting near the two hour mark really helps me out. <clears throat> and I got to an hour and I thought, all right, I'm turning around. I'm heading right to the car because I'm going to start taking damage. That's going to stop me from doing what I want to do tomorrow. And it was a mature decision and pulling the plug on a workout is a slippery slope, but this didn't feel like any of those bad decisions. I'm willing to do more. I think I could do more, but it opens a door that maybe we don't want to open yet. Reaching is for when you have the underlying fitness and durability to handle it, no questions asked. And I am nothing but questions right now. Reach for the top, right? Reaching for the top means like it's like, I'm taking a risk and I'm reaching. I can't sustain that. The top is right there. Where do you right. go past that, right? You peak and you go down the other side. When you're reaching, you're pressing your luck with pacing, with volume, with intensity, with all of it together, that peak is the pointy. It's the smallest part of the mountain, right? And you can stay yeah. there the shortest amount of time because you summit and you eventually go back down the other way. And like, it actually works that way. Yeah. But the middle of the climb just keeps going and going and going at that nice, steady, steady rate. And, um, that's good to hear, man. I feel, I sense that there's some sort of, uh, underlying confidence with your fitness. I'm not saying you're you're feeling like the man, but you're layering in a little bit of more positive juju every single week. And that's always, exactly. that's a good thing. It's been a yeah. while. It is. Yeah. And, and just to clear, we, we've had a few questions about jargon lately. At least I've received it. And, and I, I, I think I want to just explain reaching one, one sec. The way I, when I say I'm not reaching for things in training, I quite literally mean it like I'm on a ladder. Let's say you're painting on a ladder. And you, your bottom rungs are super stable. And like halfway up to three quarters up is kind of the sweet spot where you can, you can get to a lot of places on the wall to paint, but you're firmly planted on the ladder. But as soon as you go one step higher than is the safest spot, you can feel this is how the ladder would tip. And I can reach up and get more from here. I can reach up and get way more than I had access to, but it is not a stable position. And the longer you've spent on ladders and the better your ladder is, the be the more safe it is to stand on that next rung up. But we all have one rung that's one too many where, you know, listen, if I fall, I knew that it was an option and I knew it was because I decided to trust this rung. That's not even designed for me to stand on it. But in that moment, it felt worth it to reach, to get to that one point that I couldn't reach without going up a notch. That's what we mean by reaching. Like you are quite literally putting yourself higher up on the ladder to reach for something you couldn't hit without that rung, but you're setting yourself up to know it might topple out from underneath me. And I don't have enough time on ladder and my ladder is not proven to be strong enough right now to move up another rung. And so I'm not doing it yet. I mean, just another home run. A smallest gust of wind could knock that ladder over. A little yeah. bit of rotation and off center of balance and knocks that thing over. Everything has to go. Everything has to be perfect for it to come together and to reach that perfect paint stroke on top without yeah. any sort of adverse effect. And you can reach um, higher. All right. Wow. There's, there's no doubt about it. You will reach a part you've never reached before, but it's at what cost? Yeah. Um, somehow we got to 20 minutes here more, and we haven't even gotten into uh, what what the heck we're doing here. You know, we got, we got things to catch up on folks. Sometimes we just hit the record button and we do that. Um, 
You know, and these are these are conversations Bracken and I used to have uh, before we started this podcast, which will be unbelievable four years in January. What the heck? We're coming up on But these are the conversations episodes. that we would have and it's unbelievable. We have these conversations and not record them. And this is this a conversation much like this was sort of the, the spawn of the podcast. But um, we're entering a new series, folks. Um, the last series, uh, what did we title our last series, Bracken? Training Yourself. Training Yourself. We did three episodes. Let's call it Training Yourself. Um, and a little bit in the weeds, right, on some things. We got pretty specific. The last episode, More Your Wheelhouse Than Mine, we talked about scientific research versus training for you. And um, very specific. We were threading the needle down certain topics. And we wanted to transition from that to do something completely different, which is all over the map, not focused, potentially lighthearted, potentially in the weeds, maybe threading the needle once in a while. But we're going to do an extended Q&A mini-series. The idea here is we have, I don't know how many questions we have racked up, but our goal is to give you guys roughly an hour-long episode for the next however many Tuesdays until we get through the questions that we currently have in our queue. Um, And we'll just take it. If an answer deserves five seconds, we'll give it five. If we want to talk about it for 20 minutes, we'll talk about it for 20 minutes. We're putting no handcuffs on parameters here and we are going to Q&A until there's no more Q&A which also tells me if you want to get something answered shoot it over to us in the next week or two and we'll just throw it right in line we're going to do this until we we're through them all could be two weeks could be four weeks I don't know so Q&A series coming at you it starts today I like it we've been spending time talking about the things that we think people want to hear about now we're going to answer the things people actually have told us they want to hear about. Um, usually we'll end up noticing a theme with questions, right? It seems like, oh, mm-hmm. another person asking about VO2 max or another person asking about shoes or whatever. What do you think the themes will be over these next few weeks? Do you have anything that you think is buzzing right now? Hmm, probably off-season approach. I think people will be asking about, I think, volume. I don't know. I, I can never I think end it. of year end of I think end of year races and some of these questions are like two months old and we'll be late on them. That'll be the theme. Is we're answering questions that it's too late to help that person. Perfect. <laughs> <I think. laughs> um, all right. Do you want me? I have two screenshots on my phone from like messages or Instagram Messenger, and then I know we have a bunch in the running public. So I have two I could get rid of here. Get rid if of you them. want me to start with those? Um, we're here to clean the cash. Clean the cash. Okay. Uh, so we'll start it off here. Uh, this one is from Scott Lurg. Okay. First uh, of all, for next Kirk, hey. we or I got a message after the last one of these that said, I'm with you. I would not want my name to be mentioned in an episode. So there's at yeah, least right. one person, one person that may <clears throat> or may not be my burner account. <laughs> Was it your burner account? And what is your burner no. account? The real Joe DeSena. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had a um, a burner account. Uh, it was uh, uh, Chester Cone was his name, and he was a squirrel. And uh, a Facebook profile for him. Okay. <laughs> let me let me. Back in my bachelor days, we weren't allowed to have social media while recording until the whole thing was done, and it killed me. And so I created a Facebook alias named Chester Cone, and I realized. And I had all my real friends. I added said, "Hey, it's Kirk," but I'm here as Chester. But then I realized like I could do some fun stuff as Chester Cone. So I used to go heckle like the internet as Chester, and it was mm-hmm. wonderful. I miss those days. Add me on add me on Facebook. I'm still on there, Chester Cone. My brother had a had a a burner account when we were in Colorado. <clears throat> it was delightful. It, it was oddly fun. I didn't misuse it too much, but it felt it felt good. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Scott Lurg. Scott Lurg. Scott Lurg, Scott Lurg, Scott Lurg. I hope he's not the one who messaged you. Summon him like Candyman. From Scott Lurg. For the next Q&A, based off Corinna's Q&A episode, why would it not be better to only take liquid nutrition like Tailwind or Morton's on race morning rather than regular breakfast? Getting carbs in faster, easier, more measurable, and less risk of upset stomach seems to make sense, or am I missing something? No, you're not wrong. In fact, there are races where I just drink my my calories. There are workouts I do that for. I think there's two main things. The first is you don't get the density of calories that you might somewhere else. You can certainly mix it 
dense and then you get that. But there's no feeling of being sated. And for some people that really matters. That's half the reason some people have to chew during a race or anything like that is that you get that hollow gaunt feeling if it's only liquid, if it's not dense. Mm. And for people, it's striking that balance. How dense can you make it so that you feel sated and not hungry without feeling bloated or like something bad is happening in your GI system. So I think if you can get away with that, sure. But there are some people that that's just not enough. You're going to get hunger mm -hmm. pangs and, and whatever. If it's purely a fueling equation, it doesn't matter how you fuel it as long as you balance that equation. Yeah, I agree. I, I think for me, as much as anything, I'm a, a very you know big proponent of the caffeine before a race, and that's a cup and a half of strong black coffee. And if that is put in my system with only other liquid nutrition, I'm going to have a mess of a gut, throwing <laughs> all like just a bunch of liquid and mm -hmm. nothing else, right? And so for me, I need real food as a sponge. Like your pre-workout is very acidic. Coffee is very acidic. If you're going to layer that on top of just a bunch of liquid, let's say sugar, Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, like good luck with your gut 20 minutes into a race. And so you need something to absorb all that, a sponge, so to speak. And and I take in about 600 or more, 600 calories in the morning, mostly carbs, an oat base, a banana, and then maybe I'll munch on some Lucky Charms on the way to race. It's my little secret. I actually avoid the marshmallows, mostly stick to the oat pieces. But anyways... I would have a hard time getting 600 calories of liquid nutrition, either having to drink a ton of liquid or a really saturated drink. And I just see that probably being more of a GI stressor than not. I think mm -hmm. his argument of his inquiry about would that be easier on the gut than, it, let's say, eating food? I actually might think it, it would be worse on the gut than actually eating food based on how it might sit with the whole mix of what race morning brings. I don't yeah. know if you have thoughts on that. Well, if you're trying to get like 300 calories in an hour, you're looking at a minimum of 20 ounces of liquid to get that down. Most likely with, with something like tailwind, if we're talking about like that. Um, and that's, that's probably best case scenario. So just from a volume standpoint, you're going to have a lot sloshing in your gut. Even if you mix it double 20 ounces of liquid is not going to feel as nice as let's say a power bar, just because of the amount of volume it's going to take up in there. So it's, it's one of those things, like if it works for you, do it. If it doesn't, don't. But then there's also the idea of digestion rates. The more dense something is, the longer it takes to digest. And like the clearance rate in your gut, it's important. But if you're taking that in 90 minutes before a race, it's going to be done and gone. And you might even get hungry before your race starts if it's just liquid. So Figuring out what works for you in terms of balancing that. I don't feel hungry. I feel sated and I have energy. That's your path. And if that's liquid, go for it. But yeah, trying to get six to 800 calories of liquid beforehand, it's going to be, you're going to be chewing that tail when you're mixing it so dense and it's still going to be a lot of liquid in your gut. Yeah. In theory, I think Scott is correct. And I think it would work for some people. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I think I, you know, you have, okay. Before a race. Yeah. But it's not like, it'll be like a 5k or something or a Spartan sprint. I might have a, a pack of like gummy bears, not gummy bears, it'd be uh, fruit snacks. And then one flask of tailwind. And I, and then, cause I don't really need anything, but I like to have a little bit in there just to top it off. So yeah, it's doable for a longer race though. If I know I'm going only liquid all the way through, which is what I do. I haven't taken in anything gel or solid based in half a decade now. And I've gone up to six hours. I want to start with something solid. I'm going to be getting all the liquid I could ever handle. I want to balance it out. Sometimes in the middle of ultras, people find out they just need to do the opposite of what they've been doing. And so that's part of it as well. Yeah. And maybe this is a question for Corinna. Um, but I think that's a, a good stab at it. We took a good stab at that one. Um, the second screenshot question I have outside of the running public uh, cache is uh, from Corey Mix. And hey, if you write us a question, you don't want us to say your name, just say it. If you don't want to say your name, don't just tell us. We'll say your name. Use your uh, question time. I know I have speed, strength, and endurance, but I don't know how to find that inner beast that pushes all that out into one. How do I find how to bring all that out together? I find myself most of the time just finding a comfortable spot and sitting in it. Thanks again. Hmm. <sighs> we sort of talked about this in that four major questions episode yeah. a little bit. I'm going to take it a different direction than we've ever taken it because we've talked about this before. You you got to do big workouts or you do nasty workouts or you 
put yourself in situations where you force yourself to get better bit by bit at doing this until you can finally erupt in a race. But I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to say sometimes the biggest breakthroughs come through when someone's in range of winning something. And so sometimes getting into mm. a smaller competition where you have a chance to win is that breakthrough moment for people. And it's kind of hard to script that opportunity, but if you search around, you can generally come up with something looking at previous year's results or finding out who's going. I don't care what kind of competition it is. It could be a local CrossFit competition. It could be a gravel bike race. It could be a 5K run. It could be a trail marathon. But finding something where you are one of the favorites, but it's the type of competition that's going to take you outside of your comfort zone to be able to win it. Because we... We get a whole lot more motivated when there's a chance to win something. And sometimes that's that's that mm -hmm. nudge it takes to break through that wall of perceived limits and realize there's more waiting for me. And if I could do it in a do or die moment, then I have the capacity to do it in other moments as well. But you have to feel it once. I like that recommendation. Uh, the carrot dangling, right? Mm -hmm. Motiv uh, suddenly you don't realize how hard you're reaching for it until you're like all out. And that's a yeah. wonderful thing. And I'm once least... you break through that threshold, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Do continue with that. Okay. Well, uh, like I always thought I knew what it was like to work hard and suffer in high school. Mm -hmm. And then I relearned how to do that again in college. Like I have never run that hard in a race. Like I got something out of myself today that I didn't know was, I sat in it. And then I relearned it again in my late or mid twenties. And every time you level up, it's like a video game. Like now that's at your, you're at, I don't play video games, but like now you're at that new level, right? And you mm -hmm. can access that again, but you need to break through. Once you've done it, it's like, this is my new, this is my new, not baseline. Cause you don't want to go there all the time, but I know it's attainable and you're more likely to get there again. Trust that you can get there and stay there. And I feel like suffering, if we want to glorify that and getting everything out of yourself you have to level up and you have to you don't know when it's going to come but when it happens you're suddenly like that's your new standard and so it's possible and you can work your way up the ladder but it's like one step at a time maybe it's one percent harder or better or something next week and then a couple weeks later it's a little percentage behind beyond that but i find like once you break through it's usually you can get there again but it's breaking through is the tough part yeah yeah the my 5k pr came in a race where with at the two mile mark i'd all but given up with 1200 meters to go i caught a glimpse of a person ahead of me and it was just far enough that i didn't think i could do it and then i got one little hint that maybe he was suffering and i decided to work for it and i worked for 1200 meters hard and just ratcheted it down however my previous 5k with 800 meters to go, there were a string of people spaced out like every 50 meters ahead of me. And I had the same setup. Like there are some people I could run down. The difference was I was in like 16th place in that previous one. And I was in second place on my PR day. Both times there were people that I could pick out that would have been that carrot that I could go get it. But that carrot mattered more when that was first place rather than 15th place. And a truly tough, gritty, nasty athlete doesn't need that. Use what we have. So sometimes getting in that spot just does it. My mile PR, my 5K PR, my cross-country 8K PR, they all came from times when I was just on the verge of saying, I can't handle this discomfort any longer. And then there was just that glimmer of hope to go run someone down for a spot that mattered. Yeah. And that's what happened. Too bad you can't like synthetically curate that situation. Like sometimes you don't know when it's going to happen and it does yeah. and it's magic. It's like really hard to, to make happen because a lot of things are out of your control can. there. But maybe, yeah. I mean, you yeah. hear about Michael I, uh, Jordan. He would create endless false narratives in his head to get himself to the point where he was playing with a grudge. And, and I think the really great yeah. people get there. The rest of us have to get lucky. My uh, my one suggestion, if we're just going to think like very objective or tangible, would be um, start hitting some really short, hard, spicy, painful, sharp stuff. Go run 400 meter repeats and make make yourself like that really intense sting. Maybe 400 meter repeats with two or three minutes rest, but work. To the point where like anything that comes after that, let's say traditional endurance training where you're doing a threshold run or a tempo run or something else, the edge won't be as sharp. So 
going and hitting workouts in which just like they're intense, they're sharp, they hurt, they're over. I don't know. Maybe we'll help you level up. So I would recommend or like going all out for a mile and taking 10 minutes rest and then to doing it again, like something where you're fully recovered. You can go beyond your typical limits, feel really sharp sting, try to sink your teeth into it, but don't make it so long that you can't sustain it. And I think maybe that could be a new marker for you to base future workouts off of. And so running all out 400s by four with three minutes break is going to actually be terribly and miserable, and it's going to hurt a lot. And maybe it won't serve a physiological purpose for a 60-minute race, but maybe it might be some perspective. So short, fast, make it hurt, make it suck might be a good idea for you if you need to be rattled a little bit. Hmm. I wouldn't have gone there. I mean, I, I, like, I like that you did. I wouldn't have either, but he says he's he says he's doing it all. Or, man, I mean, maybe you just need a break and you're tired and you just can't even access it. Like, that's where I kind of was. Have you been grinding for years? Do you need a break? Maybe you have everything and you're just tired, man. So that's also potential. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to that? Ah, let's move on. All right. Well, do you have uh, the other questions opened up or no? I do not, but would you like me to? I can do it. Do you want to fill this uh, 30 seconds with anything productive? Sure. I'm going to finish out that last question, then I'll add on the only other piece I would have said, which is I'll say the opposite thing of you. Sometimes when I'm struggling getting tough on workouts, getting through halfway or two-thirds of the way through underneath my pain threshold allows me to crank down at the end. Some of these long workouts, long cutdowns, I find myself being way tougher than if I start out hard or my net time is faster. But if I can do, let's say it's a, a 12 mile run. If I do the first six or seven easy and then start cutting down, I'll run my last three harder than any three I would have run if I would start out to do it in the middle or the beginning. Mm. But something about being close to your goal at the end and already seeing the clock start to get better and better kind of can craft that situation of there's a carrot dangling. I'm almost done. I normally would pull back here, but I'm going to crank it down a little bit. So long cut down is another good way to work on being tough because mm. you don't have to do too much hard work, but it all happens when you're tired and you leave there knowing I ran three or four really hard miles and I'd already done seven. And normally that would be a long run for me, but I finished strong and, and I was tough and I'm invigorated and it was longer than I would normally go. Sometimes that type of moment can, can springboard you forward. I love that. I think progression runs always sneak way more work out of me mm -hmm. or a fast finish run than I was anticipating. And I find a really strong investment, especially in the progression run, just reaching for that next mile or split and then being a little faster yeah. and the next one, suddenly I'm six miles deep and I'm working hard. I also think the same thing works for interval sessions. Let's say you have something as simple as 12 by a quarter mile repeats. Start your first one easy. And then your next one has to be faster and faster. Do it with yeah. interval sessions as well. And pretty soon you're like, you sneaking so much work out of yourself to keep that going. I think it's a, a good way to hack the system. That can be part of the issue in a, in a competition too, in a race. That feeling of complacency, sitting there like, I'm not dying, but I'm just not able to work any harder. Part of that can be just going out a hair fast and getting a mile or two and knowing all I can do is get slower from here. Even though I'm not dying, I know what this effort will lead to, so I have to back off slightly. And then you're caught in the spot of nothing I do is murdering me, but the option to go faster doesn't even seem to be there. So simply starting a little slower and building into it sometimes frees you to start attacking in the second half. Yeah. Um, next question. Mm -hmm. Michael Grieve. Question for a future Q&A. If you both were training for a DECA forward slash high rocks and you, and you could only do one type of station for compromised work, what station would you choose and why? Yes, you can choose a station from both events to specify. So if you could only do one type of station for compromised work, you had to go all in on one. What would cover the gamut for both events? I talked about this when I went on Hunter's podcast the other day. I forgot who the question was from. I didn't realize yeah. from Michael, but I talked about it briefly. But this is one of those impossible questions for me, but I <clears> like <throat> that I get to choose one Deco, one Hyrox. If it was simply one, mm -hmm. I told him I would choose a salt bike, even though it doesn't like help you in high rocks one bit it just works your entire body and you can work it at whatever cadence you want so that's what i would have chosen but i think i think i would choose a salt bike from deca and then from high rocks i would either choose weighted lunges or a sled 
And since there are two sled stations, I'd have to choose the sled so I could push and pull. But it would have to be something quad-based for High Rocks. Yeah. Uh, it is a good question. And I don't know if this person is maybe, you know, trying to build a home gym and deciding, mm-hmm. like, what can I, what should I put in this, right? Or what's the best bang for your buck? Um, I agree with you for assuming running is obviously you can do this at will. So we're basically only allowed one extra station. The assault bike hands down as well for DECA. And you want to burn up your legs more? Like don't use your arms and crank with your legs. Mm -hmm. Talk about like getting some lower body fatigue. And then if you want to go full systemic, use the upper body or push more with the arms and the legs. It's like, I just think that whatever compromises you the most for your running afterwards is what you should probably choose. Right? So if you're like, man, do I struggle coming off the assault bike, which I think in DECA, (laughs) the worst transition. Yeah. So there's your answer. And in high rocks, what is it? It's the sleds or Mm -hmm. it's burpee broad jumps or it's probably walking lunges. Yeah. And so you think, which one smacks me the most? Um, Burpee broad jump seems to be a big leader for some of my athletes. But um, And then you dissect there. So not to belabor, but assault bike for DecaFit. And then because the sleds, if you could push and pull it, I guess I don't know if we're cheating the system there. So one type of station. Two stations. Sleds. That works. It's a twofer. Okay, let's take sleds out of it then. You got to take sleds out. You go walking lunges or one of the sleds specifically. You can't say both. I I guess so. You could do a sled, but it has to be one. Yeah, probably. Because the entire race can be won or lost on the sleds. And the amount of time you spend there is bigger than anything else. Between the two. I'm still counting them together. That's not I told him I would, I'd be tempted to take the rower, but uh, I think if you got to be the best weighted lunger on earth, that would make you good at a lot of other things in high rocks. But you don't really have to yeah. invest much to work on that. So like for a tool, give me a good sled and a, and a runway to work on it. That's one of the biggest issues, right? Almost anyone can find a used sled or buy one, but where do you put it and work on it? That's the big issue. And do you have a thousand pounds you can load up yeah. on? And does that thousand pounds even feel as heavy as the high rock standard weight in those conditions? It's yeah. very, very subjective. So non-sled would be the walking lunges. That's what you're going with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't feel like totally great on that because I you there are eight stations for a reason. <laughs> You know, they choose things that don't pair super well together. But I think if you had the best firing like quads in that you could possibly have, you can row, you can lunge, you can burpee broad jump, you can sled push. It even helps on the sled pull, helps a bit on the ski erg. You can wall ball. Like the, I think the quads are the main limiter other than cardio for most people. Yeah. I'm going to say walking lunges as well, but I think sled would be number one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna be out of the race before it starts, it's gonna happen on the sled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. Yeah. And there's no other station okay. other than wall balls where you can lose minutes to people. Yeah, but you don't have to run after wall balls, and I just think it. Right, it's just like yeah, man or woman up at this point. Like, what do you do? What did macros have a 29 minute sled pull? You're not gonna have a 29 so. minute anything else. <laughs> so, get a sled. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Are you happy with that? We move on. I'm not satisfied. One to rule them all would be a salt bike though. Cause there's no good answer. There's no perfect answer, but one to rule them all yeah. would be a salt bike. I guess so. Even for high rocks. No, maybe. I don't know. I can't choose. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There, it was a difficult question, Michael. Good Get, question. Honestly, for a high rocks, you just gotta find a gym membership <laughs> at this point. People are too good at it these days. You have to have access to all your stations. I know, what is it, Grady Jackson? Is he the one who's trying to do it off no gym access whatsoever, no specific Hyrox work, and he's good at it? But he's a freak. There are few and far between who could accomplish that. Yeah. Um, Eric Smith. Eric Smith. Got another Q&A question for you. How much pain, for, how much pain do you allow for when dealing with nagging injuries? For example, I've been dealing with Achilles tendonitis for over a year. And while physical therapy and short rest often helped, it routinely flared back up again. I'm now finishing up a three-week break from running, and while they are much better, they are not pain-free. They are a ton better. Would you wait until completely pain-free to return to running? The book Overcoming Tendinitis says that's not necessary, but I'd like to finally put this to bed. 
The tendonitis is a specific example, but I'm curious what guidance you have for these kind of overuse injuries. Kind of talked about this recently. You and I have slightly different takes on this, but I think the longer you've had a pain, the more acquainted with that pain you are. And I think you avoid the bad pain and accept the good pain. Maybe not good pain, but the acceptable pain. There's the pain that says, I'm getting worse. There's the pain that says, I'm not getting better. And then there's the pain that says, there's hope that this could be on its way out. And I think you you, you accept that type of pain early in a training block and you accept the, I'm not getting any worse, but I'm not getting any better late in a training block. I think it totally depends on the injury, which is a cheap answer, but I go to your sunburn analogy. If you're white as heck, you're gingy. I got gingy tendencies and you stay out of the sun for a month and you go back out in the sun, you're going to burn. Right. And I think with soft tissue issues, I think they often don't heal themselves with complete rest. It's just like, then you go right back out in the sun, you get burnt again, you start right back over from square one. I think for the most part with my experience myself, especially with plantar fasciitis, I had Achilles tendonitis in college and some other things. Rest wasn't the answer because it pops right back up as soon as you go back out in the sun. Mm -hmm. It's like, Pah, bam, there it is again. Like, hello, here I am. And so I think riding that line, just enough sun, just enough exposure so it actually adapts to what you're doing to it. And it might be a month, year-long process. With soft tissue, I don't know if rest is the answer. I think appropriate prehab, rehab, and sun exposure, as you say, mm -hmm. aka purposeful training. When you get a little too much sun, you get a little burnt, stay away for three days. And then go back out and do it again. And pretty soon you build up your tolerance to movement. I think that's how soft tissue works often, unless it's a tear, unless it's an impact or trauma, unless it's something far 10% of the spectrum. I think it's a sunburn analogy with soft tissue. Those type of things you generally have to to heal through use, but it's dosing it yeah. correctly. So Correct. you have to stay away from the danger pain, but it will ache. There's just so, so much subjectivity to that. It's yeah. If it's a bone, it's clear. You have a stress fracture, great. Like that needs to heal. You have... A torn meniscus or uh something like duh like maybe it's it's gonna have to be rest or surgery but like this case i've never had a soft tissue issue not just pop right back up if i take a big break and then try to return to my previous training it's like bam it's right back there again like slaps me in the face like good thing i took this month off i don't know it's a tough one yeah you could disagree i mean i think somebody could probably write in and be like kirk you're wrong you're an idiot maybe i am but have you experienced anything similar yeah and and how many times does someone take like nine months off of something and they start up and their Achilles is right back? That's just what it does oftentimes. There is – if there was a clear blueprint, the question wouldn't be being asked because you just follow the – pro. it's not like rolling an ankle. You know, Strengthen it, rehab it, work it, don't take too much impact or put it in a spot where it's going to get twisted again and you're going to be fine. It's not like that. I think you play that annoying song and dance where you're like listening to it – and you're ebbing and flowing, and it's almost like a run-to-run -run basis. You know, maybe I should wait another day before my next one. Or, oh, it's feeling good. I'll go two days in a row or whatever it is. And you just sort of play that song and dance. And if eventually, after months and months, that song and dance has gotten you nowhere and you're maybe trajecting the wrong way, then maybe you consider, like, you know, a hard reset. But I think it is riding that fine line and there's going to be – it's not going to be linear. You're going to have a bad day some for out of the blue for some reason. And you'll be like, oh, it's all over. But then two days later, it hurts less than it has ever before. And that doesn't make sense mm -hmm. to you. It's like always that song and dance. And I think the writing should heavily be on the wall if you're going to completely pull the plug and leave it alone. Which it sounds like probably happened with this gentleman with his attendonitis. But it's like kind of that day-to-day. -day. Let's play it by ear and see how it goes. And if after three months I'm still here in the same spot, then... I don't know. Then more drastic measures maybe need to be taken, but yeah. anything else there? I mean, the, the logical progression is to talk about the how to fix it, find out what's causing it. But in right. terms of purely a pain issue, I think there's red, yellow, and green. Yeah. Um, all right. We've talked about that before. So mm -hmm. next question, run and climb. Hey, possible question for the next Q&A. I have rolled my ankle sever severely two times in the past 10 years. I just went three years without incident other than some swelling during longer efforts and close call here or there. But I just recently rolled it again. Moderate roll, not as severe as the past two. In the past, I've tried taping my ankle for long efforts, and that seemed to help. But I wanted to get away from needing to tape for every long effort. I know this is getting into personal PT, 
and case bias and case basis, but can I get your opinion on if taping an ankle up for the long term is a good idea for long efforts? Should I still try and get to the point where I don't need to tape? Or what advice would you give athletes? Note, it has only happened to me on the trail and usually when I'm fatigued. Thanks. Long-time listener. Okay, this is very, very personal, but I'm going to make a couple very hard, like clear line in the sand statements. The first is, if you have two ankle rolls in what, 10 years? You're doing great. Congratulations. Yeah. Especially if you're a trail-based person. That just happens. The second is that I am not personally a believer in taping your ankles as a long-term fix. I know there are people in our sport and in adjacent sports who will tape their ankles for every race or every technical run or long run they do, and it works for them. But I'm a believer in the chain reaction from your feet all the way up through your hips. I think that each junction point has a role in stabilizing the body. And if you take that role away, it relaxes and gets worse at it. So that by taping your ankle or wearing a brace, your ankle relaxes and it doesn't do its job. Second of all, the ankle is meant to roll. Your ankle rolls so that your leg doesn't snap or your knee doesn't blow out. That's its job. And if you tape, now it's hard to tape to a point, unless you do a football tape, where it can't move. But if you tape or brace to the point where it can't roll and let the energy out there, that's where knee injuries come from. So I don't believe in it. I believe in taking the long-term approach and fixing every piece of why your ankles roll, which starts with strength, mobility, and stability of your ankle and feet, continues with proprioception training and training the skill of running on technical terrain. I was an ankle roller for probably 10 years and Spartan Race taught me that I'm bad on technical terrain in terms of not rolling my ankle. And it also cured me of it because I just ate, slept, drank, breathed technical terrain until I did not have to worry about my ankles anymore. So I believe it is curable and fixable no matter who you are. And I don't think it should be relied upon as a crutch. I think taping your ankle is the equivalent to and being an enabler to somebody with an addiction or a problem. <laughs> okay. You're allowing, you're allowing the same... You're allowing say, the bad habits to continue. You're mm -hmm. allowing a faulty system to continue the way it is, and I think you're just facilitating more future problems. So I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. Um, and I run into the firm belief that ankles are liars. They're mostly bark and no bite, meaning like they may be painful. You may have to work through a little bit of it after a roll, but like it's still going to heal even while you using it. And if you're a once in every 10 year once every twice every 10 years or whatever. Um, I don't think it's a glare. I don't even know if they have ankle weakness, right? I think it can no. happen to the best of us with the best ankles if you're a trail runner. So, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just, I think you're probably, probably just feeding the problem if there is one with allowing them to not do their job and be strengthened and, and appropriately ready for what you're doing to it. So I would not enable, enable your ankles to be weak if they are, and I would rip that tape off and, and feel it out. That's what I would do. Yeah. I mean, to give it perspective, I was rolling my ankle every three to four months playing basketball to the point where I couldn't run for two weeks. And I would roll my ankle running as well to the point where I couldn't run for a week. Non-usable. I rolled my ankle bad enough that I pulled a chip off the bone my fourth year of college and fourth or fifth year. I mean, I had truly bad ankles. And I now am to the point where I haven't missed a day of running because of an ankle sprain in probably seven years. So I didn't have the mm. worst ankles, but I had ankles that were that were, were not capable of handling what I needed them to do. And now I'm at the point where I'm taking maximal stack shoes out on technical rainstorm descents and not once thinking about my ankles because I'm placing my feet where they need to be placed, how they need to be placed. And a big part of rolling your ankles is your foot placement. It's not just putting it down where they should go, which is all about proprioception in your, in your eyes, and then your feet being able to go where your eyes want them to be, but it's how they hit the ground. If you are pigeon-toed, you are going to roll your ankles more than someone who's not pigeon-toed. If you are heel striking out in front of you, you're not giving your body a chance to even avoid the roll. If it touches it, it's rolling because you have all your weight extended mm -hmm. on an extended leg. Figuring out how to run differently is every bit as important as 
strengthening your ankles. You should have different running form on technical terrain than you have everywhere else. And people without that background, those are the ones that get into trouble. And again, if you've rolled it twice in 10 years, that's probably not even you. But for people who are chronic ankle rollers, you're going to have to relearn how you use your feet on technical terrain or trails in general. And you can't get sloppy. You have to know every step you're taking. And that is mentally draining at first, but it's fitness like any other type. You build up your mental fitness to be able to focus on 50,000 footsteps and go 50,000 for 50,000 in an ultra. You have to. Um, I agree with you on that. I agree with you on all that. It's interesting. You see those, what do you see like a very efficient, healthy, fast trail runner? They have these like pretty short, compact strides, quick turn turnover, quick reaction. They're not overextending out in front of their body. Right. Mm -hmm. And even if they do hit something that's a little sketchy, they're not so exposed and overreaching that they can just, it's a minor little roll and they can run it off and continue on. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause it's not the catastrophic role. So I do it's just interesting. You see that cadence piece a good bit amongst high end yeah. trail runners. And I'm a bow legged mm -hmm. uh, um, pigeon toed athlete by nature. I'm made to roll ankles. So there's hope for everyone. Okay. I was going to say, I was going to do one more question today looking at these, but this is this now that I'm reading through this, there's like four questions in here. Hmm. And so I'm wondering if we save this one for our next, do you have a what short do you think? one to wrap with? Well, I'm doing these in order, Bracken. Oh, so I think we should just wait. I think we've hit an hour. I think we'll just get right to the content next time. <laughs> and I think that's what we should do. Well, I agree with 50% of that. <laughs> you don't think we'll get right to the content next time? I don't. But I think today's preamble was content, even useful content in its own way. I would like to think. Sometimes I think it is, and sometimes I think I think we just like to talk. But there's nothing wrong with that. Bit of both. Bit of both. Do you have anything you want to add? Uh, we don't have our Friday episode up. Do you want to just touch on that real quick? Yeah. So we Unless recorded we... with a fantastic gentleman who is a doctor and a expert in mobility, stability, rehab, prehab, all that kind of stuff. However, but 75% of his audio file is corrupt and didn't work. And so we're working on trying to recover that. I've been unsuccessful. And so the episode is just not available currently. So we're working on our end of what we're going to do about that. Yeah. It's the classic big discrepancy in audio. Bracken and I sound loud and fine. And for some reason, his audio sounded great when we recorded, but he's quiet and distant and not as clear. And it's one of those things where it, it could maybe be a hard listen. And I don't think you can adjust the volume enough on your end, huh? I guess I'll explain a little bit since people will hear the differences in some episodes. All of our audio gets recorded independently of each other. So if we have three guests, we have three audio files. And then I can go through and clean things up, level uh, the audio levels, make sure that they all sound roughly the same level of, of loudness or softness, and then remove background noises, things like that. However, there is a backup cloud recording in case any of those three files gets corrupted in some way. It's recording in real time to the cloud, so to speak, but it's a degraded audio version and it's one audio file. All three guests are mixed together onto one. So as a result, unless you have, you know, professional editing equipment, which, you know, five figure editing equipment, which we don't have, you can't separate that one file into multiple audio files. And so you can't adjust any individual audio level or edit it, edit whatsoever, other than to just basically, um, take out silence. That's all you can really do with that. So on days where suddenly there's background noise and people are coughing or dogs barking and chair scraping, it's because we had to go to the cloud backup because something happened in the file itself. This is one of those times, except in the cloud backup, our volume is like 50% louder than his. And so you'd be stuck in that weird type of place where someone's always whispering and the other people are shouting. So until we figure that out, there is no episode, but just a little insight into why some episodes sound differently than others. Sound different. Yeah, no ones. rhyme or reason why the file is corrupted either, which is just obnoxious. No, we didn't have like uh, an internet connection issue. We didn't have power go out. We, we're, we don't know what, what happened here. Okay, well, that's that. Just wanted to touch on that. Um, that's all we got. We're going to be rolling with Q&As. I don't know how long. A few episodes more for sure, I think. So send your Q&As to 
the running public Instagram account. That's where we want them gathered. If you have anything you want us to, to wedge in here in the upcoming episodes. So make sure you, you get those sent to us and we'll, we'll actually get to them in a timely fashion. Look at us. Look at that. Kirk, I'm off to run trails with Lisa. Oh, she doesn't run trails very often, no. does she? But she has taken it upon herself to keep her legs feeling better and taking less damage. So she's going to run trails a few times a week. So I'm going to go get her a recovery run in today, a quality session. Well, once she, runs, once she runs every every road in the greater Milwaukee area, then she'll go to uh, trails. And then she'll have to run every trail in the Milwaukee area. So she's how far away from that, who knows? But she is an ankle roller. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you have to carry her home, you can be her noble steed. It has happened before. Our record's two and a half <laughs> miles. Oh, my goodness. Good luck. <laughs> good, good luck. Good that luck. hasn't happened in years. Uh-huh. All right. Well, thanks for listening today, guys. There'll be more Q&As in your future. See ya.